This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. After my message of preaching and teaching of the reality of Jesus Christ, who he is, we saw throughout history that Jesus is real. We saw throughout history that Jesus actually was who he said he was as we viewed the scriptures and as we compared historical evidence. And then we could see the life change of what's happened in our hearts and we could verify the fact that we believe Jesus is who he said he was. I felt so heavy in my heart on that second service to just make a call to people and say, if you're being challenged and confronted right now with the reality of Jesus, you need to respond. Let me tell you something, guys. People got up out of their chairs, and they were literally running down here to the front to stand in front of our church family to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ in front of everyone here. And it was such a moving and powerful thing. And as I looked across the the, the faces, there were probably about 20 people or so that came forward. I looked and I saw people that I had never met before. And I consider myself to know a lot of people here at Word of Grace. And, and, and I can definitely tell someone that I haven't uh, met or maybe someone who's new. And, and as I was looking, oh, wow, there were a lot of new people as well that were coming and giving their hearts to Jesus. And were making a public proclamation to this church body that Jesus Christ is their Lord and that he is the only way to the Father. That's such a powerful thing to me. And, and when we see that happening, what we're seeing is life change. We're seeing it happen in India. We're seeing it happen right here in Sheboygan Falls. We are seeing a life change happen, and it's because of the power of Jesus Christ. And that's who we're going to talk about today. We're going to go a step further in our Contend series by talking about one of the most controversial issues, but yet the most important issue to our faith, and that is the resurrection of Christ. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this title down. Jesus is alive. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's one of the biggest things that gets challenged today as we look at how to defend our faith, as we look at uh, being able to defend why we believe what we believe. So let's go and see what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's talking to the church in uh, Corinth about the validity of the resurrection because these are Greek people, all right? And these very Greek people that he's writing to, they have an understanding of the when you die that you're basically encased in your body, that the body is the barrier for the soul. And so it's really messing with their heads when Paul is preaching about Jesus being resurrected. You see, they, like most people in our culture today, don't have a problem with Jesus doing nice things or saying nice things. I believe Jesus is real. I believe Jesus exists. I believe that Jesus died. We can even record, look at recorded history and see that Jesus actually existed and that he died. And we've went through those things over the past couple of weeks. And we know that that really happened. But, I mean, really? I mean, he resurrected from the dead. He actually, he actually was resurrected. That's where the Greeks were having an issue. And that's where a lot of people today have issue. They believe all those other things about Jesus, but they have a hard time with the resurrection. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're missing one of the key cornerstone components of our faith and of our walk with Jesus Christ. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth and what God is saying to us today. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and also he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, and then after that he was seen by over 500 people at one time, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or they passed away. Verse 7, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me, talking uh, Paul also as the one born out of due time for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God which was with me Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yet we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead don't rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. He said, if Christ is not risen, then you don't have any hope. If he's still in the grave and he's dead, or if someone stole his body, or if he just poofed into thin air and he didn't rise from the dead, he said, you have no hope. There's no hope for you because he had to rise. Why did Jesus have to be resurrected? Why did he have to rise from the dead? Well, I'll tell you why. You remember the first man on the planet, Adam. You remember that this fall of man was caused by Adam's sin. Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden against God, therefore making sin or this curse of sin fall on all of mankind. It was going to take another man to be able to be the mediator between God and mankind that could be absolutely perfect and spotless and blameless in the eyes of God. You and I couldn't do it. We tried. We failed. We're full of sin and we're enemies of God because of sin. But then Jesus Christ comes in his perfection and he's born of a virgin. So right there you can see that he, because he didn't have an earthly father, he was fathered by the Holy Spirit, that when Jesus came on the scene that he's already breaking that bloodline, that cursed bloodline that had been repeated throughout the fall of mankind. He lived a sinless life even though he was tempted in every way like you and I have been tempted and are tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in all of those ways, but yet there was no fault found in him. But yet he he died on the cross for our sins to pay the ultimate price for the curse of sin. And then he was buried after he died. But then he rose again and ascended to where the Bible says now he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. Now Jesus Christ, the man representing all of mankind, is seated at the right hand of the throne room and he's making intercession for you and me. He's our go-between. He is our substitute. And that's why Jesus had to rise. That's why it's so important that we believe in the resurrection because it's not enough just to believe that he lived and he died. We have to believe that he was resurrected and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father because he is now the representative of mankind to God, spotless and blameless and perfect in every way, but yet he took all of our sin upon himself and now you and I are cleansed and free and made alive again. So you have to believe in the resurrection. You have to. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation 
of Christianity. It's something that you and I have to believe in if we're going to be followers of Christ because we can't believe this thing 99.9% of the way. Amen? We've got to go the full 100 we got to believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. We have to believe this. This is the very foundation of what we believe, but yet this is the very thing that is challenged more than any other claim of Christianity. This thing is challenged more than anything else because there will be people of other religions that try to connect with you, and they'll come to you and say, Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I believe Jesus lived? Really? I believe Jesus' miracles? Really? And I believe that he died? Really? And then it stops there. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? That is such a huge thing that you and I need to understand why we believe why we, what we believe. <clears throat> the resurrection is a pivotal event for our faith and for the turning point of mankind. And there's a lot of different methods that uh, people have tried to use to disprove Christianity and disprove the resurrection. And I want to go through just a few of those today just to educate you so you can be smarter and stronger in why you believe what you believe with this resurrection. The first theory is called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory is one that's uh, kind of hard and far-fetched to believe. It's hard to really grasp because... You and I know the grotesque details of the torturing of Jesus prior to being crucified and dying on the cross. Swoon theory says that Jesus only appeared to be dead. He was faking it. Okay? This is what the swoon theory says. That Jesus Christ was faking his own death, that maybe he took some type of drug that made him appear to die, and that the disciples, you know, uh, you know they, 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 they somehow slipped him something or whatever the case would be so he would only appear to have died and his heart would appear to be uh, stopped and things like that. Well, that's interesting. Now let's think about this for a minute. Oh, wait, we don't have to think long. That's right. Because we can read all throughout history of the grotesque torture by both uh, Christian and non-Christian historians have recorded the uh, the torturing of Jesus prior to being hung on the cross. He, first of all, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. And this thing was, matter of fact, most historians believe there were two guards that were whipping him. That these guards, that's what they would historically do. They would take this cat of nine tails, which was this leather strap that on the ends of it, that it had sharp barbs and metal things and glass shards and all these things attached to it. So when it, they would whip the individual, that it would actually sink into their flesh and then they would rip it away. Often with the very first whipping that you would begin to see on the inside of someone, it would rip so much flesh off of them. And he was constantly being beat. A lot of people that would be tortured that way would not even withstand that torture. A lot of people died right there because they would lose so much blood or it would damage an internal organ or something like that. So that's the first thing that happened to Jesus. And then after that, he had to carry his cross up this hill while he was continually being whipped. And then he had this crown of thorns shoved into his head. The Bible says you could not even recognize him as a man. You couldn't tell exactly what was going on because of how just bloody and marred and scarred that he was. He was so disfigured. The Bible says then that the most sensitive parts of his body were drilled with nails. Just think about all of the sensitive 
nerve endings that are in your feet. Think about all the sensitive nerve endings that are in your hands, the primary way that we feel things and touch things. You don't even like people to tickle your feet. <clears throat> Think about Jesus having nails driven through. Okay, so somehow all these things happened, were recorded. Then he was wrapped up in pounds and pounds of this cloth taken to this grave, this huge stone rolled in, somehow, when Jesus comes to, three days later, manages to free himself from all of the linens, gently rolls the huge stone out of the way, (laughs) slips past the guards, walks seven miles to Emmaus to go appear to two guys, and they don't think this is creepy or weird that this man who is bloody and beaten is standing before them. And then he sneaks into the secret room where the disciples are meeting and where they're they're, they're gathered for fear of their lives. And he appears and he goes, hey guys, I'm here. And then sneaks out without them noticing. All the while, they don't look at him and go, Jesus, you really need to go see a doctor. You're looking pretty rough. That didn't happen, did it? Neither did the two people that he appeared to on the road to Emmaus. They didn't go, man, this guy needs a doctor. Because that's a ridiculous theory. We can see that the swoon theory is ridiculous that that would even be proposed. The second one is fun, though. It's twin theory. Jesus had a twin. Yeah, this is is legit, you guys, as a theory, okay? People are preaching, teaching, and believing this kind of stuff in universities and, and, and during different debates. You'll hear this kind of stuff, that Jesus had a twin. Well, I have twins, And let me tell you something. I can tell the difference in my twins. You might not be able to, but I can. I remember when they were real little, we had to put a little hat on them and put a little marker, Abby and Leah. We had to put A and L on their hat. And we hope that we still have the right ones or we're calling them by the right name because uh, there may have been a few times where the hats got swapped. Because when they were little and all scrunchy, it's hard to really tell them apart. But uh, I, I mean... You know, you look at them and you go, it's hard to tell them apart. But yet, if Jesus had a twin, he either, the twin either died on the cross or Jesus died on the cross and the twin. Somebody had to fake somebody out. But yet, all these people who had spent all these years with Jesus, even his own mother, whom was at the cross when Jesus looked down to John as he was holding Mary and he said, take care of my mother. Mary didn't go, wait a minute. You're not Jesus. You're Tom. She didn't do that. No, she knew that was her son. It's ridiculous. But anyways, we can see that that, uh, that, that, that theory is blown full of holes as well. The third one is the hallucination theory. And this is the, probably the biggest theory that is preached today in uh, major debates. I was watching a debate just the other day about this very subject as I was kind of gathering some material for my message. And this is the one that I kept running across the most. This is what a lot of people who are atheists or agnostic will teach and, and, and preach. This is what they stand on, is that Christians are just hallucinating. All right, You're hallucinating the whole thing. You're hallucinating the seeing Jesus again. Yeah, they believe that he lived and that he died. They're not going to argue those facts. But they will argue that he rose because they just think that a bunch of people hallucinated. Let me tell you something. Hallucination is an individual experience. For all of us to corporately have the same hallucination would be very difficult. Now, however, I did watch the Andy Griffith show yesterday with my wife. And Barney Fife said, as he was reading in a um, mountain folk book of folklore, that if you put a beak of a turkey underneath your pillow and underneath a dog's head at the same time and you both go to sleep, that you'll have the same dream. So, I don't know. 
May, I mean, it was on the Andy Griffith Show, so it might be valid. I don't know. But, I, but it's really hard for us to have the same hallucination. All right? But yet all these people who wrote all these things throughout history have yet told the same stories over and over again. And moreover than that, people were willing to die for this hallucination. People were willing to have their lives taken from them. Think, think about this for just a minute. You remember the disciples prior to the resurrection of Jesus? You remember the disciples? There were 12 disciples, you know, one of them, he fell off the wagon, you know. So now there's 11. You remember those guys? You remember Peter? You remember the night that Jesus was being crucified? Do you remember that there was somebody that found Peter in the crowd? And what did they tell Peter? said, you were with him. Peter said, I wasn't with him. Oh, no, you got me mistaken for somebody else. And then, once again, you see that he gets pressed again. No, you were with Jesus. I'm pretty sure. I was there that day with the fish and the loaves and the little boy's lunch. I was there, and you were too. I saw you were passing a basket around. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you got me for the wrong guy. I, I mean, it was somebody else. And, and then they keep pressing him again, and he ends up cussing the person out. Said, I wasn't there. It wasn't me. You've got the wrong guy. I don't know the man. And then he hears the rooster crow. Same man who did that before he saw the resurrected Christ, after he saw the resurrected Christ, after he saw Jesus, is the same man who was boldly waiting in the upper room in the book of Acts for the Holy Spirit to come. And then when the Holy Spirit fell and they all began to speak with other tongues and they began to declare the goodness of God in other languages. People were hearing the gospel being preached in other languages because there was a festival and people were from all different nations and different uh, languages were gathered and they were hearing the gospel of Jesus bring, being proclaimed in their languages. They thought those guys were drunk and Peter stood up. The same man who had denied Jesus three times stood up and he said, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Whoa, what's going on now? And now Peter is leading the charge and preaching the gospel, being ostracized, being beaten, being chased for his very life. And then on the day of his death, they're going to crucify him as a mockery to the way that Jesus died. And he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Put me upside down. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Man who just denied him yet turns into this man who's extremely bold and professing his faith. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. He saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's what changed in this guy. He saw the resurrected Jesus. And we see many more people who saw Jesus as well. So for this to have been just a hallucination that you would be willing to die for, that's pretty extreme and very unlikely. Very unlikely that he would be willing to die and in turn... That extreme for a hallucination. Another theory is the wrong tomb. Oh, maybe we got the wrong one. Oh, Jesus sitting there, whoop, maybe this is the wrong tomb. Did you guys get the right tomb? I mean, this is things that people are arguing the validity of the resurrection. Because you can go to all the other religious leaders throughout history. You can go to Muhammad's tomb. Everybody knows where he's buried. He was a prominent figure in history. People listened to his teachings. They followed him, and they know exactly where he's at. Matter of fact, if you go to Muhammad's tomb, you can see people that are praying. 
there at the tomb, people that are weeping at the tomb, people that are offering up different types of sacrifices there at the tomb, people that are worshiping at the tomb because it's become an idol to them, because they wish that Muhammad were with them. You can go to the tomb of the Buddha, and same thing. People will be worshiping, and the people will make pilgrimages to go and to see this tomb where the great Buddha lives, and they'll cry and they'll weep. Why? Because they wish he were with them. But if you go to the tomb of Jesus, it is a celebration because guess what? There's nobody in there. There's nobody in that tomb. No one is crying and weeping for sadness that he is dead. If they're crying and weeping, it's out of joy because the reality of Jesus Christ has gripped their heart and has drawn them to worship him because they realize he's alive. He's not dead. He is alive. And if he were dead and buried in a tomb, I guarantee you that the influence that he had during that day would have caused people to make pilgrimages just as Islam and just as Buddhists and just as many other religions make pilgrimages to different holy sites to go and worship. We would be making pilgrimages to the tomb of Jesus because he would be in there and, the, and everyone would know where it was. So the fact that they would have the wrong tomb is, is, is really ridiculous. Um, the, 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 the other one, uh, fifth one, is uh, stolen body theory. And this one is even talked about in the Bible. So if you've got your Bible, go to the book of Matthew, 28th chapter. This is a real popular theory and was a real popular theory even during the days of Jesus after his resurrection. People began to go, ah, yeah, they're going to they're gonna steal this guy's body. His disciples are going to conspire to do this. So Matthew 28 and verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and they became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city, and they reported to the chief priest all the things that happened. When they had assembled with the elders, they consulted together, and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, Tell them that his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, this is going to appease him and it's going to make you secure. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And as this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And that's one of the chief beliefs that the Jewish people have. And there's the reason there is that the um, disciples stole his body. But yet again, let's go back to the boldness of the disciples. Let's look at their history. Let's look at their track record. Let's look at now what would they have to gain for the spread of Christianity. Okay, these guys were persecuted because of Christ. 
These guys died because of Jesus. These guys had no earthly gain promised to them for following Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus even told them, you're going to be hated by the whole world and it's going to be my fault. He said, people are going to hate you because of me. People are going to persecute you because of me. That doesn't sound like a lot of incentive to steal his body and make up this whole resurrection theory. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of incentive. I mean, they didn't go off and, 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 and build great big mansions and live in these giant houses because they were out preaching the gospel, because they were so well compensated for preaching the gospel. They didn't go out and get, you know, two Mercedes camels and they weren't riding around on the fancy camels and living in the big homes and, 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 and all these things going, wow, look at those guys. Those guys are Christians. Look at those guys. Those guys are making so much money. Wow, what a, what a mint they've made off of Jesus. No, they were actually being beaten because of him. They were actually being run out of town because of him. So why would they steal his body and then go around and claim he was resurrected only to be beaten and to be shamed and to be scarred and to be persecuted for their very lives. See that they didn't have very much incentive to steal the body of Jesus. The next theory is the legend theory. This theory is popular today because people believe that all this stuff is just made up. It's just a legend. This whole Christ thing, whole Christianity, it's all just a legend. And we can see from history that Jesus actually did exist, that he did die according to Scripture, and those events are verified by other religions and other books. Um, but this world is very much anti-Christ. They don't have a problem with nice guy Jesus. They don't have a problem with miracle working Jesus. They don't have a problem with blonde hair, blue eyes, smile, kiss babies Jesus. They have a problem when Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and says, when you have seen me, you've seen God. And I say there's no way to him except through me. When Jesus said he's the only way, that's when this world begins to have a problem with Jesus. They like all the other things about Jesus, but when he begins to make statements like that, they don't like that. So they try to manipulate the story and the person of Jesus to be something that's more palatable for our culture. So we can somehow digest this version of Jesus that is comfortable to our culture because our culture constantly changes and evolves based on the lust of the flesh, based on the selfishness of people, based on us heaping on riches for ourselves and us messing up our priorities. We can see how history has, has just changed and culture has evolved and how we've gotten to the state that we are in our value systems as an American culture and as a world. We can see the values and, and we can see the culture and we expect Jesus to morph and to change along with the culture. But let me tell you something. Jesus said that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I'm the Lord your God and I don't change. I'm the same. Your culture can change, but I'm the same. What I said back then still carries throughout history and it's still true today and it's still worth standing on and believing even if culture doesn't want to roll with it culture may not want to roll with what jesus said two thousand years ago but that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant it means that we need to get in line with what jesus said and stop following culture and what's popular comfortable and easy if Jesus said something that's hard, you better believe it, and you better walk it, and you better talk it. 
If he said something that's difficult for you to go, oh, my cultural filter is, not, is getting a little clogged up. I don't know if I can make this acceptable with my friends. I don't know if I can make this acceptable with my coworkers. Oh, I don't know if I can make this acceptable with, 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 with everybody that's looking at me and, and, and I want to fit in and I want to be accepted. And I don't know if I can go against the grain. I don't know if I can stand up for this. Let me tell you something, folks. Culture is like this big, huge tide that's trying to suck you out to sea to drown you. And if Jesus said something that's contrary to culture, if you stick with him, he's not going to let you drown in that tide. And we need to stick with what he said and believe what he said is true because we trust in the words of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest um, things that a court will use to determine if someone is lying is what do these people have to gain by lying? What, 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 what are, what, what's the evidence that's pointing to them having something to gain by lying? And if there is none, then it's hard to dispute. It's hard to go, you know what, I, I, I don't know if they're lying or not because they really don't have anything to gain. And if we were to take the message of the resurrection in a court of law, and look at these men and try these men who wrote these things and who were eyewitnesses to these things and seen what they had gone through, if they would have weighed the evidence of what these men said that they had to gain, they could tell that there is no motive here to lie. Last theory we're going to talk about this morning is the Quranic theory. You've heard of the Quran. It's the holy book of Islam. Now, Muhammad the prophet lived 600 years after Jesus claimed that uh, after Jesus claimed uh, that, that, that he died on the cross. Um, but Muhammad says that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Muhammad says that Judas died on the cross. You remember the disciple who betrayed Jesus. And the reason he died on the cross is because when he betrayed Jesus, he felt bad. Made him feel bad. And so out of guilt, he said, no, don't take Jesus, take me instead. And that's what Muhammad teaches. Now the Quran teaches that Jesus lived. The Quran teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. The Quran teaches about his miracles and about his ascension into heaven. They believe he was a prophet. That's where that they'll suck you in. But they, however, do not believe in his death and his resurrection. Isn't that interesting that 600 years after Jesus lived on this earth, that a man came about with a message that we believe in everything about Jesus except the two most important things that he did. That he died and that he rose again. The very foundation of Christianity. Because here's what happens. So when, when a Muslim will talk to you, they'll say, oh, we believe in Jesus. Oh, really? Oh, well, we're not so different after all, are we? I believe in his virgin birth. Do you believe that? Yeah, I, I believe in that. Do you believe in his miracles? Yes, we, we believe the Quran teaches the miracles of Jesus. Wow, really? We believe that he was a prophet, really? Wow. Do you believe in his death and his resurrection? Uh, a lot of times we never get that far in the conversation. And we don't understand that there's a difference in our beliefs. Understand something, that Islam is a false religion that has deceived many people. Our world and our culture here in America is very compassionate to Muslims, but very hostile towards Christians. Have you noticed this trend coming about lately? That we're very compassionate towards Islam, but we're very hostile towards Christianity. You turn on the television, 
and someone will talk about how some poor Muslim was, was ostracized because of this or that, or how someone said that you couldn't do this or that, and it was probably one of those Bible-thumping Christians, and they always paint the Christians in the bad light, and they always are beginning to tag Christianity with words like, uh, you know, fundamentalists and things like that, these people. Why can't you be one of those cool Christians? You know, why can't you be one of those Christians that's just like, yeah, you know, Islam and, 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 and Hinduism and, and, and Buddhism. Yeah, 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 we're, we're all cool. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Right? And we go, I don't know what your deal, man. I got a coexist bumper sticker on the back of my car. I got a coexist flag flying out in my yard. It's cool. Me and Jesus, we're cool. Me and Muhammad's cool. Me and Buddha, we're cool. Me and all the millions of Hindu gods, we're cool too. We're all just cool friends. Really? The thing that separates us, folks, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The thing that separates us, folks, is that when Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father, that we take that to the bank. That when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Man, that's hard culturally. That's hard culturally. Oh, man. Oh, because it's not very popular, and it's becoming less and less popular to stand on that. But when you believe in the resurrection... When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when you believe that He is who He says He is, it will give you the grit that you need to stand on that solid rock of His Word, regardless of what culture may try to sway. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ died. But the greatest proof of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is life change. It's the greatest proof that you and I can see, that the greatest proof that you and I can attest to and can testify of. What does the Bible say in the book of Revelation? It said they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb that we believe in, that shed blood of Jesus Christ that paid for my sin and your sin and the word of our testimony. That's how we overcome That's how we contend for our faith. That's how we stand in what we believe. Think about the Apostle Paul. What was his job prior to being called this Apostle Paul? Well, he was a man named Saul of Tarsus whose job was to go out and to hunt and kill Christians. Wow. Think about this. Now, Saul was living high on the hog. He was very popular among the other Pharisees because... They thought this guy was very zealous. This guy was very passionate to go out and do what he was doing. But yet, for meeting Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, to go kill more Christians, mind you, he gets knocked off of his horse, he gets made blind, and then he goes off on this search after meeting Jesus face to face and ends up being baptized, sight restored, begins going by the name Paul and begins being persecuted, run out of the, run out of the, the, the temple, ostracized by the very people who used, who used to celebrate him. Life completely, radically changed. Authors, almost two-thirds of the New Testament, has a great revelation of the grace of God. We read some of his writings today. People are still reading his writings today. And this man used to kill Christians. What a testimony of the goodness and the mercy and the reality of God. 
and the fact that he did send his son to die on the cross, but yet he didn't stay there, that he rose again. Because the greatest proof you and I can see is life change. Amen? Amen. See, if Jesus were just another nice man, history wouldn't make such a big deal out of him. We, we, we would have just forgot him. Or, or there would be small groups of people that were you know, passionate about Jesus. But throughout history, from the time Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God, think about all of the lives that have been changed. Think about all of the people who have been saved. Think about all of the stories throughout history that are just like you and just like me when we came to that moment when we realized Jesus was alive, that he died for me, that he was my savior, that I needed him, and that he came and changed my life around. No other figure in history has been written about, sung about, worshipped and celebrated more than Jesus Christ. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that he's still being celebrated today because his tomb is empty. Amen? Amen. His tomb is empty. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. The first fruit of the resurrection. You and I are going to be caught up with him one day when he comes back for his bride, his church. And we're going to be resurrected as well. And the Bible says that when we see him, that we will be made like him because he's coming back for his church, his body. And we believe that because we know he said it. In John 6 and 44, Jesus said this. He said that no man comes unto the Father. No man comes to me unless my Father first draws him. And maybe you've been drawn today. Maybe you've been drawn by the reality of the resurrection. Maybe you've been drawn by the fact that you're going, wow, now I understand why I believe what I believe. But understand something, that that drawing to Jesus... It's not a one-time event. It's not a one-and-done thing. When you're being drawn to Jesus, He's constantly and consistently drawing you daily, closer and closer to where we know more about Him and we know Him deeper today than we did the day before. That we're constantly and consistently being drawn to His heart and He's changing us from the inside out. So there may be different people that would try to disprove the resurrection that would try to disprove the life of Jesus but I want you as a part of this church this local body here to understand why we believe in the resurrection why we believe Jesus is who he says he is so you can still constantly be drawn to more of who he is and grow in that as a disciple who is growing in loving God loving people and serving the world would you bow your head this morning Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.